Welcome to Visiting Professors, Multiple Myeloma Edition. This is medical oncologist Dr. Neil Love. On this series, we arrange for clinical investigators to visit the practices of community-based oncologists where they attend a special CME clinic of patients who are then discussed on our program. To begin, Dr. Sagar Loniel visits the practice of Dr. Warren Brenner in Boca Raton, Florida. And to begin, Dr. Brenner discussed the patient who presented in 2009 with severe shoulder pain. So this is a 69-year-old female who had been in good health who presented with left shoulder pain, fairly severe, and was found to have a lytic destructive lesion of her left clavicle and sternum. And she underwent further workup with MRI as well as a PET scan and was found to have a kappa light chain restricted myeloma with no evidence of kidney involvement, normal calcium levels, no anemia, and on bone marrow had about 30% plasma cells and had a 13Q deletion by fish. She received upfront therapy with lenalidomide, bortezomib, and dexamethasone, followed by a transplant in October of 2009. And then she received no maintenance therapy. Just under less than three years later, in June of 2012, she had an asymptomatic relapse as far as increasing free light chains, but no evidence of new bone disease, no other evidence of end organ damage and had a repeat bone marrow that showed 30% plasma cells, but this time also showed a 17P deletion by fish in 11.7% cells, and also had a 13 deletion, and actually had another heavy chain gene break apart signal, but no partner chromosome. At that time, she was reinduced with lenalidomide, bortezomib, and dexamethasone after discussion with her transplant physician was treated until February 2013 with a complete remission and has been maintained on every two weekly bortezomib with excellent quality of life, although more recently she has developed a slight increase in her free light chains again and had another recent bone marrow that showed about 18% bone marrow plasma cell involvement, but the 17P deletion was not detected by fish. In fact, she had normal myeloma fish panel and normal metaphase cytogenetics. So Sagar, before I kind of ask you about her, just sort of in terms of her whole case history, any comments, particularly about the cytogenetics and how they've evolved? Yeah, this was an interesting case because the 17P wasn't there early on. It was there in a small percentage of cells at first relapse and then looks like it's gone again. And I think there are lots of questions about sensitivity of the assay. There is a little bit of a debate in the global myeloma community about whether there should be a threshold for being positive. Is there a certain percentage, I think the French said above 60%, to be considered poor outcome? I think, as we talked about earlier, in our view, it's like being pregnant. Either you have 17P or you don't. These gradations are not quite as clear. So I think it does certainly raise some concerns about clonal evolution. But in my mind, she got treated with highly effective therapy, which might be why that clone was suppressed or is gone. And I think she looked remarkably well. I mean, this woman is doing pretty much everything she wants to do, is on maintenance bortezomib and having a great outcome and a great quality of life. So in terms of thinking about the future for this lady, what are some of the thoughts that you have in your mind? She's a very 
active woman who's also very in tune with her disease. She reads a lot of the myeloma literature. She actually reads the ash abstracts on myeloma. So she asked myself and Sangha some very good questions. So she's very in tune with everything. Right now, the plan is for her to stay on the every two weekly maintenance bortezomib, which is tolerating extremely well. And we know that she does have many options for treatment down the line if a disease progresses at some point. What would you be thinking about in terms of future options for her, Sagar? You know, I think with the data we saw at ASH this year with pomalidomide in the context of 17P deletion, that would certainly be high on my list of what I would think about. Could you comment on what was seen there? So there was two sets of data. The first was a retrospective look at the MM003 trial done in Europe where they showed what was thought to be prolonged progression-free survival for the group that had 17P. The group in France then did a prospective trial looking at 17P and 414 only and showed that 17P actually did fairly well with pomalidomide and dexamethasone. 414, not so well. But I think it's really important to think, what is our next step, our plan B or plan C? And I think pomalidomide was there. The other area of interest for her and for patients with uh, history or with high-risk disease is the use of monoclonals. Monoclonals certainly may be risk agnostic, as it were, in the sense that they're not necessarily dependent on p53 dependent mechanisms to induce cell death. And certainly combining an imid with an antibody is a very attractive idea as well. And speaking of that, where are we today with what you've done a lot of work on, which is elotuzumab and lenalidomide? LO and LEN is in long-term follow-up in the randomized phase three trial. Hopefully within the next 12 months, we'll have some data that I think will hopefully get us our first antibody. Daratumumab is not far behind as well. And at ASH this year, we saw data from the Sanofi anti-CD38 antibody that also looks very promising. Now, do both of those anti-CD38 antibodies induce responses by themselves? Yes, that's correct. Interesting. If this lady, for example, were to develop progression, are there trials that she'd be eligible for with either one of those antibodies? Yes. Yeah, I think for both, actually. So interesting here that this lady is getting bortezomib maintenance because of the 17P. How do you decide upon the type of maintenance that's used related to risk, and in what situations do you bring in a proteasome inhibitor as maintenance, specifically bortezomib? So I think in our mind for patients that have 414 positive disease after an autologous transplant, bortezomib is our maintenance of choice in those patients. Now with lenalidomide? No, just alone as a single agent. Whether it be the every other week schedule as the Dutch study showed or a three week on, one week off schedule, something along those lines is how our group approaches it. The combination of len and bortezomib we use in high-risk patients, 17P, abnormal karyotypes, and we actually just published that data in leukemia in December, and in a cohort of patients with 17P deletion, the median survival was much better than one would expect with any other reported series for patients with 17P deletion. So that's why I feel like the RVD that was given to this woman in relapse was really a great choice because I think it gives her sort of a stepped-up version of RVD maintenance. You wonder, too, you know, she was initially diagnosed and transplanted, you know, several years ago when maintenance hadn't quite caught on as much. You wonder whether if she had gotten maintenance, maybe she might have had a more extended remission. What kind of bone-directed therapy is she getting? 
She did get initially bisphosphonates with zolendronic acid until a year post-transplant, and she's been off that since then. What's your philosophy about duration of bisphosphonates in this kind of situation, Sagar? So it's been evolving. I think it's hard to keep track with where everybody's recommending. I'll tell you what we end up doing is that year post-transplant monthly and then going to every three months afterwards. And that's just really based on the idea that the Brits did suggest in their trial that there was a survival benefit to bisphosphonates. You don't want to give them indefinite monthly to reduce the risk of ONJ, so many of us have settled on an every three-month regimen. I think how this woman was treated is completely actually in alignment with ASCO guidelines, which is not recommended the way I do it. Although, you know, frankly, quote, the way you do it is the way most investigators are doing it nowadays because of the MRC study. Is that something you've thought about, more prolonged bisphosphonates? She had, in my mind, a uh, relatively small amount of bone disease. This was not a patient who had multiple lytic bone lesions where I probably would still have her on bisphosphonates except for her left clavicular lesion and the small sternal lesion. She's had no other bone disease. So I thought she was someone who didn't necessarily need long-term bisphosphonates. Although I could ask you, do you use bisphosphonates in people who don't have bone disease? Yes. But the survival benefit from the MRC trial wasn't there for those patients. Either way is, I think, a reasonable approach. 